So we are going through the book of Ephesians, as you well know. We've looked at one chapter at a time. We looked at chapter one and uh, chapter two last week, and we're going to look at chapter three today. You can go ahead and open up your Bibles or your Bible apps there if you would. I just want to, as we're getting started, remind us kind of of, of what we've looked at so far to put in this chapter into a context, because as Paul lays out the letter of, of uh his letter to the Ephesians, it very much has context and method, and it, there's a, this builds to this builds to this kind of kind of a thing. And so, chapter one, as you may remember, we looked at what we called in Him realities. We just prayed them. In fact, that in Christ we aren't, for example, trying to be blessed or earn the blessing of God because Jesus dwells in us by the Spirit. The blessing of God is already in us, and likewise we are also chosen we are chosen we're adopted we're favored we're redeemed we're forgiven and we're even glorified these are all in him realities last week we had bob preach thank you bob and awesome to have chris back by the way hey so good if you don't know she had a procedure removing something evil out of her body called cancer and and uh it looks like our, our report is good, so we are delighted to see you sitting there. You're a champ, Chris Steenberg. Uh, but in chapter 2, preached by her wonderful husband last week, as he was being also Nurse Bob at the same time, uh, a absolutely fantastic message. If you ha- didn't get a chance to hear it, I would highly recommend going onto our website and getting that. Um, but it, it looks at one critical thing is our position. So not just the in the realities that are true inside of us, but also where we are seated, as it says in that chapter, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. How many of you sometimes feel like you are not seated with Christ in heavenly places? Can we be real? <laughs> some of you nod. Some of you are still waking up. So we are, whether we feel it or not. It's the Bible. It's the word of God. We are seated because the spirit of God is inside of us. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. And uh, in addition to that, it kind of he began to lay out some of the gospel, namely that we were dead in our trespasses. That he, while we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive in Christ. That alone is ridiculous. And we heard that awesome scripture in verse four. I think it was, but God inserted himself while we were still sinners and made us alive. That's amazing, but that's not even close to the fullness of the picture. He has seeded us. It, it's like this. He took those who were in a pit that they put themselves in a pit because of their own sin, and a holy God could have likely stood over that pit and said, you see what you've done? And rather, it would be crazy, in a sense, for him to just lift us out of that pit, which is what he did. But he didn't just do that. It's as though he lifted us out of the pit and said, come up here. I want you to be with me, the Godhead, in heaven, even right now. Seated with me up here. That grace is amazing. And, uh, and, and, and uh, he went on to point out that we are his masterpiece. So he's... In our salvation, in receiving Jesus, we become his workmanship, his masterpiece created by God for good works that he's already prepared for us to walk in here in this earth. He removed the law, that thing that separates us from God and condemns us. He removed that out of the way so that we don't have anything that's condemning us in Christ and that thing that separated Jews from Gentiles, the law, has been removed. And, and which to you and I is probably not that big of a deal. We don't walk around being like, hmm, Jews and Gentiles. Are we all, are, you know, it's not really, a, to them it was a big deal. Millennia of culture of being told that we, all, the Jews, being known as the people of God, all of a sudden finding out that this thing that they as a people were prepared for was to be a blessing to every single nation and all come into the inheritance and becoming sons of God together, Jews and Gentiles. So this master plan that Paul begins to lay out of the gospel and, uh, and, and culminates in the end of chapter 2 saying that we have been, are being built together. We, who is we? 
the church, are being built together a dwelling place of God through the Spirit. That is what the church is. As Minda just said, it is not, I mean, spare me now if all church is, is we come together to watch a worship team who I probably wouldn't pay money to watch us if it's all about our skills, sing a list of songs. But if it's that what we're doing together is resulting in us being built together to become a dwelling place of God, count me in. That I am interested in. That is hopefully what the preaching and the everything else that we do all is building towards that. And on that note, if you look at chapter 3, verse 1, Paul begins this chapter saying, For this reason, what reason? That the church becomes a dwelling place of God. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. Prisoner. Emphasizing, he's saying, the church is called to be a dwelling place of God. And he's pointing out the fact, for this purpose, I've become a prisoner. In, just to be clear, we're not talking about, like, spiritually, metaphorically. He is in chains. He's in a prison for this reason. He's given everything. He's helping us to remember the words that I'm saying. They mean a little bit to me, the Apostle Paul would say. I have given everything for this reason. Now, we ask the question, though, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, what? Tell me, Paul. I want to know. Paul is, uh, from a linguistic English perspective, he, he is a bit of a run-on sentence guy. My, my English teachers in high school and college would have slashed this man. And he has a seven-verse run-on sentence before he actually answers this question. For this reason, I, Paul, what? But let's look at this kind of insertion he gives of verses two through six of uh, some other things that are important for us to know before we answer that question. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of God. What's he talking about this? I've already briefly written. He's he's talking about chapter 2, where he laid out the gospel. And specifically, namely, that this gospel is not just a Jewish phenomenon, that God has invited all nations in all types. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that 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 means me 2,000 years later. I became a son of God because of that reality. And he's laying out this mystery that had been hidden from before the ages, saying that This is, well, let's read it, verse 5, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Listen to this, verse 7, of which I became a minister. That Greek word minister being diakonos, it's translated in other places as deacon. He's not talking about I became an office of a deacon, like elders and deacons. He's saying I became a servant. That's the other translation of that word. I became a servant. So this magnificent plan of the gospel that includes making man, those who would put their faith in Jesus to become a dwelling place of God, a house for God in the earth. And it would include not just Gentiles, but anybody who places their faith in him. For that reason, Paul has become a servant according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given. So what we're going to look at right now in the rest of this chapter is Paul talking about his own calling. The, the, let me put this back into context. We, he's painted this magnificent picture of the gospel. He's painted these in him realities of, that apply to everybody who has faith in Christ. And he's told us that we're to be a dwelling place of God. He's told us that because of that, he's, late, he's become a prisoner. 
And he's living for this dream that he has by revelation from God. He's living to see it manifest in the earth. Good to see you, Josh, by the way. He's living for that. And he begins to point out, and this is what I want you to catch, that in this magnificent plan that God has and that, that he is unfolding, that he is seeing his own life, his own self, in the context of this plan being fulfilled. And he's, he's identifying that in this master plan that God has, that a particular grace has been placed upon my, the Apostle Paul's life. And he begins to describe that. Now, what I'm wanting to point out this morning in the next few minutes is that you and I, have we received Jesus, also have a grace upon our life to fit into that plan. Our life is a link in a chain to bring about that particular purpose. What is that purpose at the end of chapter 2? That the church become a? How about somebody other than the elders? Dwell. Come on now. A dwelling place. Are we catching the idea of what a dwelling place is? A house. A place that God abides in and uh, as a consequence manifests himself through. Is that a little bit of a big idea to picture for your own life? Is that hard to receive sometimes? It's something we have to receive by faith. And so Paul is, is saying, here's my call. And so what we're going to be looking at today is some lessons from Paul as he describes his, his call and how he was faithful and a steward of the grace of God given to him. You also need to be faithful and a steward of the grace of God given to you. You also are coming into a call. And, and then in the next chapter, chapter 4 next week, we begin to look at how this, this building of the church happens. This idea of the Ephesians, uh, the, the fivefold ministry gifts, and, and, and what your role is in doing this. And then all of that culminates. We go from identity and our position and the gospel and our calling and how God is going to build the church. And it all culminates with how do we live. Culminates with very practical, how do we live in family? How do we live at work? How do we conduct ourselves? And so let's look at these things that Paul says about his own call. Firstly, first, uh, five clarifications to be faithful with the call. Number one is the posture. To be faithful with your call, we must take upon ourselves the posture of a humble servant. If you can look back at verse 7, of which, Paul says, I became a minister. And actually, can I kind of go back to, to verse 8? To me, who am less... Than the least of all the saints, this grace was given to me. Who? To, what, what, why is he saying to me? To who? That's he's answering the question that he started in verse one. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, drop down to verse eight. To me, that guy, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints. So the first thing in verse 7 of which I became a minister the first thing and then and then in verse 8 who am less than the least of all the saints that's humility that's that's identifying that you do not deserve anything the call upon your life is not because of how good you are how special you are it is because of the grace and so this first thing is is to posture ourselves as humble servants which Jesus himself also did, of which I became a ministry, Paul says in verse 7. If you uh, are to look at Mark 10, 45, Jesus says this. Jesus, the Son of God, says this. For even I, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Let me remind us that when Paul took upon himself this call, when his heart became smitten to see this vision that God has for the church become a reality. And he offered his own life to play his part. Where did that lead Paul, at least at some point in his life? A prison. This is not about prestige. This is not about anything other than I see what God wants to do and I'm willing to yield my life to Jesus to do anything for, the, for his sake, which is for people's sake. 
So the first step in, in, in being faithful with our call is to realize before anything else, whether you're an apostle or whether you're called by God to, what's something lowly? Sweep, clean the toilets, and everything and anything in between. It does not matter. It's all a posture of humble service. Not just service, humble. Paul the Apostle says, I, who am the least of all the saints. Most of us would look at Paul as the greatest of all the saints. I mean, how do you get more holy and spiritual than Paul? He honestly believed this. I deserve nothing. I was killing Christians before the grace of God came into my life. I don't deserve anything. I, I, I ought to be disqualified from, God, from Jesus using me at all. Paul would say, and you and I need to have that same reality. So while we have these in him realities and we need to have confidence spiritually in Christ, we also need to have a humble posture and say, apart from Jesus, I don't deserve anything. Absolutely nothing. Which is the very next thing he says, I who am least in the least, lesser than the least of the, <laughs> what does he say? Less than the least of all the saints this grace was given, which is another posture of humility, is to say, even though I don't deserve it, I need to recognize grace has been given nonetheless. And I am a steward, and I am accountable to how I steward the grace that has been given, which is not to my qualification or to my deserving. But I, in this earth, I will give an account to the grace that has been given. According to the grace given to me by the effective working of his power to me who am less than the least of saints, Jesus also demonstrated this element. Uh, listen to this. In Matthew, Jesus says, So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. Who said that? I would have thought, Jesus, you're pretty good. In Jesus' heart, not trying to be humble, he literally said, apart from my father, I am not good. Him alone, he alone is the one that I derive any kind of goodness from. And so that is the same position, if we want to be faithful with our call, that we must take on ourselves. So we move on. Is number two, so the first is our posture. Number two is the gift. In verse 8, he says, This grace was given that I should preach. Paul had to recognize it's not just grace that was given to me. The grace on my particular life is to preach. Therefore, that is what I must do. Not because I, people need to hear what I have to say, because God dwells in me by the Holy Ghost, and given to me was the grace to preach. And upon you, there was a grace. Have you received Jesus? There is a grace inside of you. How do I know that? If you go to the very next chapter, you don't have to turn there now. But in chapter 4, it says in my notes at some place <laughs> that... Grace was given. <laughs> Wh Verse 7, yes. According to the measure of the gift of Christ, I don't have it in front of me, this grace was given. Okay, so anyways, the, if you go to Ephesians 4, verse 7, you will see that every single member of the body of Christ has been given a grace, just like Paul. Yours may not be to preach, but nonetheless you have something. Jesus, in Isaiah 61 which is the mission statement of Jesus that he declares when he begins his ministry, it, it, he illustrates that he also had to recognize something of the gift, the grace that was upon his life. Isaiah 61 says this, the spirit of the Lord God, this is, would be Jesus, the Messiah talking, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Even Jesus had to recognize what is the grace on my life. I can remember uh, back when I began to discover the grace of God on my life, uh, specifically in the realm of teaching. 
And uh, became, I became a Christian late in my teen years. And then as I began to grow in the Lord in my freshman year of high school um, I, and, and lear- learning things and chasing after God, I began to just like see things in the scripture or the Holy Spirit just began to reveal things to me. And as I did, I would start to write them down. And as I started to write them down, I started feeling this desire to teach these things to people. Now, that was a foreign, I'd never had that. My desire prior to that point, this was my dream for my life. I wanted to live in some kind of like a maybe log cabin out in the woods uh, of maybe, I don't know, Virginia or maybe West Virginia, who knows, or or North Carolina, and I wanted to be out there, and I wanted a chimney and the smoke, and I didn't want a whole lot of people, and I wanted to write because I love putting words together, and I loved communication, and that's what I wanted to do. Sit there. I probably would have a sweater on, by the way, because that's cozy, and I would probably have, like, warm, fuzzy house slippers, and that's that was the dream. That's, like, what I wanted to do, and then Jesus arrests me, and all of a sudden, he says, no, I want you to go engage people, and I'm like, no. But the grace of God, I began to recognize and to discern that in spite of my natural self, there is a desire, Jesus' desire in me that wants to preach and to proclaim truth to people so that the, his church can be built. Do you follow what I'm saying? That grace that is given to me very well may not have been given to you. Every bit as much, though, is a gr- God has a grace and a destiny upon your life. And so my point there is I just want you to take consideration of as you're pursuing the Lord, are there er divine urges that start to rise up inside of you? Desires. And let me warn you, if you have humility, it very well could be with a feeling of, who, me? No, I can't. No, I can't. I mean, let me tell you, I resisted the call to preach for a good year. And it, and it felt bad because I knew I was like denying God, but I, God, no, I don't, maybe not a year, but it's several months. And so oftentimes there's this urge. What is your gift? It's that thing that you kind of always have faith for. Do you know what I'm saying? Like sometimes it's like Anton Cater, his gift. You remember Anton Cater? He came from South Africa. He leads the church that we used to lead in Johannesburg. He came, and he has a gift to facilitate an encounter with God. Anton doesn't have to, uh, he always has that. It is on him. That's his gift. I don't have that gift, but I celebrate that he has it, and I got my gift, and you've got your gift. You know what I'm saying? It's that thing that you always have faith for. It's that thing that there's divine energy in you to do. It's that thing that it stirs and touches the passion. It's like it touches the core of who you are. When you touch that place, it is who you are. For me, having the church have divine revelation of truth that they could walk in it, that touches the core of who I am. I live for it. It, it, It's your passion. It's that thing that you can tell, that, that thing that works in you that comes from him. This is not me. If it was me, I would be in the log cabin in West Virginia or, I don't know, North Carolina. You follow what I'm saying? Because some of us start talking about my call, and it's really just your na- what you're comfortable with and what you're kind of naturally good at. That doesn't necessarily mean it's your grace. We need, to, we need to see. This thing comes from him, and when you do it, it releases his presence. And when you step into it, it also results in him being revealed. So preaching, obviously Jesus can be revealed through that. Do you know that stepping out in an act of kindness that the Holy Spirit leads you to do reveals Jesus? Somebody is impacted by Jesus as we do that. So check this out. Romans, you don't have to flip there now. Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 8. The Apostle Paul there begins to talk about grace gifts given to people that, uh, as I said, is not just about preaching. It says, having then gifts deferring according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, some of you could have a grace gift of prophecy, 
then prophesy in proportion to your faith. He who ex- uh, or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So there's grace gifts, and I don't know how many there are listed there, but I don't know if Paul's giving an exhaustive list of all the potential grace gifts that can be given. I, ch- I tend to think not. But just to give you some ideas of biblical gifts that you may have working in you, that you could see that and, and, and begin to, to see it released in your life. So I just want to encourage you before, before we go to the third one, please don't try to figure out what your grace gift is. It is rather, can I almost say admitting it? It's not something you have to go figure out. You won't mentally figure this out. It comes from within like a volcano. And, and the more you yield your life to Jesus, the more it becomes obvious. And the more you get your hands dirty, not with your specific call, but his general purpose. That is when your specific call starts to manifest. Does that make sense? So we're building this temple of God, the dwelling place of God in the earth. I want to do whatever I can do as I get my hands dirty with that. Discipling people, seeing God's temple built, people built. As I do that, whatever that may be, it could be cleaning toilets, it could be whatever's before me, that's where I begin to see my grace gift. So don't try to figure it out. It will become obvious to you as you pursue the Lord. Let's move to the third one. So the first is your posture as a humble servant. The second is recognizing the gift inside of you. But the third is the people he, that I should preach among the Gentiles. Paul realized that there is a specific people group that he's called to. Now, mind you, this was not for the sake of limiting himself. Because when Paul would go into various cities to preach the gospel, you know where he went first, usually? To synagogues. That's not where the Gentiles are. It just so happened that there would be some Gentiles there. So what I'm saying is, if this isn't a, don't, don't come to the conclusion that God has only called me to, to church. <laughs> yeah, good one. God's only called me to church, or God's only called me to women, or God's only called me to old people, or elderly people. Or don't, don't get, make it so small, but are there, in Paul's revelation that he had of the gospel, Namely, that the Gentiles would be brought into this picture. That led him to be, he couldn't but go to the Gentiles. That I should preach among the Gentiles. Jesus also recognized his target people. If, if you go back to that Isaiah 61 verse, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. That is Jesus saying, I do have a target audience. My gift is meant for the poor. And that, in case you're wondering, the idea of poor is not about how much money is in your pocketbook. It's about being destitute and hungry and knowing that you have need. This is why Jesus in Matthew 5 says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of God. The gospel results in the kingdom of God entering into people's life. And it's only the poor who receive it. So Jesus identified, I'm not, Jesus would have, as a consequence, been able to engage a person and see that they are not receptive, they're not desiring, they're not going to follow, they are prideful, and know this is not who I spend my time with. Does Jesus still love the proud person? Thank you, Nita. Sorry if I hit you too hard there. It's not about Jesus' love, it's about strategy. It's about being effective. And so Jesus had a target. Paul recognized he's among the Gentiles. And so I just want to point that out. I would say as far as you and me identifying who are we called to, I mean, one obvious thing for my wife and I is we're called to the people of Detroit right now. I would say um, for me personally, if I look at who my ministry tends to kind of ring the bell of, usually it's people who have made a decision that they want to live their lives for the call. 
so usually that's that's the case. There's something of the gift in me that kind of speaks to that. Um, you know, Mickey, I remember when he first started coming to the church, and he had had an encounter with God prior to that that led him to a place of going from being a backseat, like sitting in the back row and just kind of like coming to church on Sunday and that kind of thing, to like wanting to live for the call. I, if I had met him five years prior, I don't know how excited he would have been about Border City Church. He would have been like, oh, whatever, you guys are so missional and crazy, and just let me sit in my mega church and give my tithe and do my thing. But now he's running with purpose and call. So I would say this, as far as who are you called to, always start with your local church. If God has placed you in a local church, and every believer is to be placed in a local church, you certainly start there. Your gift finds root there. That's the first starting point. The whole of it, the men, the women, the white, the black, the old, the young, the whoever, the rich, the poor, all of it, God, you're called to those people for sure. Um, but there could be specific types of people that in the course of time you begin to realize that your the grace on your life kind of specifically helps. It could be that singles, you know, people without a spouse, that you have a grace for that. It could be that people who have issues with addiction. It could be women, uh, so on and so forth. So just be mindful, I think, in the, in the days to come to consider who is God, what is the— well, let me ask, here's the questions you can ask yourself. What people does Jesus impact most with the gift he's given me? If you think about what that, those moments that the grace of God has operated in and through you, who is it that tends to be most receptive, most benefited by, most appreciative, most celebratory of it? Another question you could ask yourself is, who has Jesus given me a burden for? There was a season in my life when I was in college, I had a revelation of what God wanted to do on the Georgia Southern University campus. And in that season, that was who I was called to. I was called to the kids on the campus. And God used that. Another thing you can ask yourself is, who is my gift made to help? Let's go to the fourth of five. And hurry up. The emphasis. So you've got the posture, you've got the gift, you've got the people, and now there's kind of a specific emphasis. So it's not just preaching to Gentiles. What is he preaching to the Gentiles? The unsearchable riches of Christ, which, by the way, he, la he laid all of that out in chapter 1, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which he laid out in chapter 2. This is, the, this is Paul's gospel, Paul's, Paul's specific emphasis. Do you know that Jesus also had an emphasis? He wasn't just called to preach. Isaiah 61, again, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news of the kingdom to the poor. It wasn't just preach. It was preach good news. There was a specific thing that he carried. And so... Um, if you look at, uh, let's, let's break this down into what this may look like practically. Let's take um, Romans 6, uh, 12, verse 8, where, it's, where Paul lays out these grace gifts. He who exhorts and exhortation, he who gives, so exhorts, gives, leads, and shows mercy. Let's take one and give you a, an example of what this might look like. Somebody name one of those. Pick one of them. Exhort, exhortation. Giving, leading, and showing mercy. Somebody be bold and pick one for me. Giving, okay. Giving. I'm called to give. Who am I called to give to? Let's say give to churches and church leaders. So that's your grace. That's your who. But what's your emphasis? Give to churches and church leaders in resourcing the spread of the gospel. Does that make sense? Should we choose another one, or should we just move on? You got the idea? I don't know what it means. Yeah, let's move on. Oh, lead. Okay, lead. I thought you said leave. <laughs> when the wife looks at you and say leave, you just keep moving. Okay, so let's say lead. 
So I, 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 could, I could know that I'm called to lead. That's a grace that's been given to me. But, but is there somebody I'm called to lead? It could be lead members of my local church. That doesn't necessarily even mean that you have to be an elder to have the grace of leading. I honestly don't even know if I have a grace of leading. I, don't, I mean, Minda has a grace of leading on her life. So the, don't confuse the government, the position with the, the gift. So I've got a grace to lead. Lead members of my church. Is there an emphasis? Is it just generally leading? No. Lead members of my church to work together to fulfill projects that need to be done. There's a specific emphasis in the gift as it manifests itself through you. So how Christ reveals himself in you is how he will be revealed through you. Sorry to pick on Mickey again, but Mickey is such a good example. If you've been in our community group, if Mickey opens his mouth in community group, 90% of the time, you're going to hear two words in somewhere in his contribution. Love and trust. Why is that? Because God revealed himself through his bout with cancer several years ago that he knows, he, before he even knew he had cancer, God told him, you need to trust me. This man now beats in his heart this concept of trusting God. And while he went through that process, he had an encounter with the love of God that has totally changed his life. He can't stop talking about God's love. Was that when you got born again? When you saw the, like, love and color? And that was... Before that, exactly, yeah. That was, that was later. So these are ways that God has revealed himself to this man. How God reveals himself in you is how he is going to reveal himself through you. What you see in the hidden place will become manifest outwardly through your body, through your life, through your words. So that's just to give you an idea. So how has Jesus revealed himself to you? What is your testimony? I'm not just talking about how you got saved, but like what's God done in you since that point? How has he revealed himself? Believe you me. As Jesus is revealing himself to you, he has in mind you reaching other people. And how he's revealing himself to you is changing your life so that he can use you to see change in other people's lives. Which of the, from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ, which brings us to the last one, the goal. Because your gift does have a goal. There's a posture that we take. There's a recognition of the gift that we have. There's a recognition of the particular people that God may have anointed us to reach. There's a specific emphasis, and there's a goal in mind. There's a target. There's something that all of this is to accomplish. And for Paul, in verse 10, he says, to the intent. In other words, this is the reason that my, my grace is, this is why I do what I do. This is why God has sent me, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Do you remember in the last chapter when, when Bob preached so wonderfully, noting our position in Christ, that we are seated with Christ where? In the heavenly places, meaning, as Bob said, that we have power, that as we submit ourselves to the power of Jesus, that that same power now is in us, to be expressed through us. That's the ultimate kind of end of the story of us being seated with Christ in heavenly places, is that we operate in the power of Christ. I'm not just talking about working miracles. I'm talking about what Paul just said in verse 10, basically saying that now, to the intent that through the church, the devil's butt would be kicked by Christians. You follow what I'm saying? That's the, re that's the unfolding of us being seated with him in, in heavenly places. And so there's a goal. And as you and I do what we do in the call of God, it is important for us to know and to see and to keep before us always, where is this headed? Where, what is happening for here? For, for me, for Bob, for whoever? I can tell you it beats in my heart that same thing that Paul says, that there would be a dwelling place of God. I'm not just doing what I do so that there's a church called Border City Church and hopefully we get a bunch of people and can say we're successful. 
if God is not manifest in the earth through this people, what we're doing is missing the mark. And we've got to know what the mark is. And the mark, according to Paul, is that his authority would be revealed and manifested and expressed through Christians in the earth. That's a big thing. That is, that is incredibly huge. And Jesus, I would say, also expressed in Isaiah 61 that he knew what his goal was. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Skip through over to verse 4. Those people who once were described as poor, after receiving the gospel, after coming into the work of Jesus, it says, and they shall build the old ways. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. What was Jesus' goal? Is that the people that he reaches become the very ones who go out and go do what he did. And would you say that happened in the life of Jesus? The 12 apostles he raised up, did they continue doing what Jesus did? And what are you a part of 2,000 years later? Is it any different? You and I are still doing the same thing, which is to fulfill the ministry of Jesus by taking the gospel, reaching people, bringing them into the family of God, that they would become discipled, know their gift, know their calling, and go back out and, and reach other people that they could go repeat the process. That's it. We'll have eternity in heaven, in, the, in, in heaven to worship the Lord, to have intimacy and to not have the spiritual battle that we fight in this earth. But here on this earth, we have a mission. And we need to know what that mission is. That mission is not clocking in on Sunday morning. That is not fulfilling the purpose. It's good, but we've got to see way beyond that to why are we doing this. It is a church that is glorious. A church that expresses heaven on earth. That is, as we're going to see hopefully, Rodney, in the, chapter 4, a church expressing the fullness of Christ in the earth. That is what we're being built into. And I would assure you, I would humbly submit most churches lost sight of that goal. Uh, let's go to, I don't mean to sound arrogant when I say that, it's just reality. Verse 11, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love how Paul identifies that this intent that he has for his ministry, what he wants to see, is not something he's pulled out of a hat. It's not some kind of purpose that he just has decided he wants to see. It's according to God's eternal purpose. And the, and, the, and the purpose for your call is not for your purpose to be accomplished. So all the dreams and desires we have for our life, we need to ask ourselves, is this God's dream or is this just my thought? This career path that I'm considering, is that God's dream? Or, and if it is, it's going to be that the eternal purpose of God would be accomplished through Christ Jesus, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you, do not lose heart at my tribulations. In other words, the fact that I'm a prisoner for you, which is your glory. And so I just want to say, uh, before we shift over to this prayer section and, and then end, just want to say in December... I'm looking forward to, I believe, that we're going to be able to have some discussions as a church here on a Sunday and, and look at what, more specifically and clearly, what has God called us to do as a church and how are we going to go about doing that. So I look forward to that. But in verse 14, now Paul shifts over to prayer. And I just want to make a couple comments and then we'll close. Verse 14, for this reason, for what reason? I believe it's back to verse 10. The intent that the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the church, by the church, to the principalities and powers. In other words, that the, the powers of hell, pardon my expression, but I'm going to say it again, would have their butt kicked. Or in the way Jesus said it, to the Son of Man has been sent to destroy the works of the devil. That those works would be destroyed through a church in which he dwells on the earth. That's for this reason, Paul's saying, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. In chapter 1, Paul lists 
the in-him realities, and then he prays those at the end of chapter 1. He lists them, and then he prays that we would see what God has done inside of us. In chapter 3, excuse me, in, chapter, uh, in this chapter, chapter 3, Paul prays what has been done would, would, would manifest. And I would say what Jesus has done, let us, and accomplished on our behalf, let's pray that. So verse 16, that he, what did he pray? That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Why, why is he saying to be strengthened with might through his spirit? Because everything that God has accomplished that Paul laid out in verse chapter 1 and chapter 2, all those realities, being blessed, being adopted, being positioned with Christ in heavenly places, all of that is in the spirit. And so therefore now Paul is praying that even though it's been done, that it would manifest, that we would be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Are you seeing that? Do you know it is possible to have things done for you by God? It is real. It's theirs for the taking. And yet you do not walk in it. Why? It's because largely because we don't even see it and don't be, therefore don't believe in it. But when we see it, then you access it and trust for it. This is what Paul's doing. He's, he's saying all these things that he sees for the church, the will of God for the church. And now he's saying I don't just leave it there. I don't just preach it. I'm praying over you for it. I want you to hear that because I'm, I'm hoping that all of us know that Paul's prayers echo down to even us today. That these same realities would not just be a theology or a doctrine. It would be manifest. That we'd be strengthened. The next thing is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's one thing that Jesus lives in me. But it's a whole other thing that Jesus dwells, manifests, lives through me. As my son would say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved, him, loved me and gave himself up for me. So he's praying that, we, that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, why is he praying that specifically? Well, do you remember in the last chapter when he started saying, but God? Like, you're dead in your sin, but God did these amazing things in verse 4 of chapter 2. But God, who is uh, great in mercy, rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Now he's saying what God has done for us, that he loved us, but now he's praying that we would be rooted and grounded in love. Uh and may be able to, verse 18, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height. <laughs> I mean, just to remind us that we're talking about a God who pulled us not only out of a pit and saved us, but even brought us up to where he is in the heavens. The love that God has, that we would be able to comprehend that, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of of God, which is interesting because in the first chapter of, of Ephesians, Paul says of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. And now he's praying that we would be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So can I ask you, I've got two things, ways that we can respond. One is this. I want to sincerely ask that we not just go through this book as a preaching series, as just another thing that we do, kind of tick a box as a church. If there is a purpose in us going through Ephesians, it's that God wants to speak to me and to you. And what have we covered, the ground that we've covered so far, is that God has done some amazing things in us. And because, it, and we know that it, just because that's true, doesn't mean that we walk in it. And the same God who had Paul write Ephesians to the Ephesians to help them to see what has been done is the same God who wants you 
to see what has been done inside of you. I want to say that some of us, out of our mouth, comes communication that shows that we do not really believe the stuff that we're talking about. How can you say I am cursed if the scripture says I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? Those two confessions cannot co-abide. We must believe one or the other. How can we say that uh, everything is always going to, nothing's going to change, it's always going to be this way? When God has said that I've called you to be my home in the earth, to manifest my glory, I will do it. You don't do it. You just trust me. You just obey. I'll do the rest. Those two cannot co-abide. And so what I would want to ask all of us to strongly consider in the duration that we're going through the book of Ephesians, which will run basically through middle December, I would suggest going through Ephesians 1 and 2 and finding everything that God says about you. And in some way to make a conversation, every time you pray, include that in your conversation, recognize it. God has said some amazing things to you. It's actually rude for you not to respond to them and, and to acknowledge the stuff. And so I'm not, I'm not saying go through the routine of, I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. I am the son of God. I'm an adopted. I'm a chosen. Okay, that's not going to get anything. But just say, God, I recognize that I am blessed. And just let it come out, whatever, however. What, I'm not trying to get your blessing. I thank you, Lord. My, bl my blessing's already in me. I thank you. Every single blessing is in me. Just to, just to tell him what he's told you. That will begin to change the way you think. And the next time that you try to think that you're cursed, you're going to think twice if you start doing that on a daily basis. Next time you try to say, oh, nothing's going to change. I guess it's always going to be this way. <laughs> next time you want to have that attitude, you're going to think twice because of what God has said. So I'm not talking about hype. I'm not talking about getting ourselves all worked up. I'm talking about faith. I'm talking about believing what God has said, which is kind of the 101 of what it is to be a believer, right? <laughs> so this is where rubber meets the road. So again, Ephesians 1 and 2, everything God has said about you, I'd put it down maybe in a notebook or a Bible, like a note in your app or whatever on your phone somewhere and just make it part of your communication on a daily basis for the next month until we're through with Ephesians. And let's see what happens to your thinking, to your belief system, to how God uses you, <laughs> if you, if you do that.